Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Alves. And I'm Professor Allen. And hey, Professor. You know, we have breaking news this week. One of my favorite book-related shows of all time has started a Kickstarter by one of my favorite actors of all time. Can you guess who it is? Can you guess, Professor Allen? All I can say is if you can find book lovers and Star Trek fans, you can't go wrong. That's right. And you know what? They started a Kickstarter. We'll talk about it later, but... They wanted a million dollars to get their Kickstarter through. And a million dollars in 35 days? That's unheard of on Kickstarter. Is that even possible? Stay tuned, constant readers. Stay tuned. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. By Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Why not? Yes, it's the Reading Rainbow, Professor Allen. Uh, Kickstarter started yesterday on our normal record date, and they had 35 days to come up with $1 million of donations to. to that seems like a lot of money in not very many days. Yeah, and you know, we've had the re- Reading Rainbow Android and iPad apps for a while. Right. But uh, this is LeVar Burton wanting to bring Reading Rainbow to another level with uh, you, uh, being a professor. You understand that you, it's important to have a teacher's package for this kind of children's uh, you know, content. Like right now, a lot of teachers are using in elementary school the old Reading Rainbow uh, episodes through YouTube right. and whatnot. They're still using the, the PBS version of Reading Rainbow. And there are apps, but he wants to take it to another level where it's uh, totally online. And he's right. You know, kids don't really sit around and read books anymore. They have tablets, iPads, uh, Android devices, and all the Samsung crap and computers, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, LeVar wants to bring Reading Rainbow to the new generation of children to uh, get them inspired in reading. Not only that, but he also wants to, him and his team, want to bring Reading Rainbow. Uh, now, now, hang on. It's a paywall for those of you who can afford it. Like well, you pay your, you know, what, X amount of dollars a month for your child to have access to all these books and videos. But if you can't afford it, what they want to do is subsidize and, and give, you know, uh, lower income schools the option to still be able to have that you know education package and uh stream uh, on their computers the reading rainbow app and give access to their kids and their tablets and mobile phones 
Yeah, the app itself is a few bucks a month. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's a couple something dollars, like four or five bucks a month. Yeah, like that. I, I know that my friend uh, Terry, he does uh, subscribe to that for his, his daughter, and and she loves it. Reading, who doesn't love that song? Come on! Yeah, and if and if if you can find one thing that's going to a occupy your kid's time, right? And b teach them a little bit along the way, including how to love books. It is worth a few bucks a month. Absolutely. Whatever and, it is, and five is bucks, a, eight bucks, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, and this is going to be a multimedia experience with not only books, audio, and you know, cartoons, and uh, right. video. And, and LaVar is uh, recording new. It's going to be recording new, uh, you know, like going to Mr. Right. Chan at the Chinese restaurant and whatnot. And this is a passion of LaVar's. Uh, I'm, I'm going to... Well, that certainly came through when... when was it a year ago when he was out promoting the app? Absolutely, absolutely. But th- this what, is what, yeah. What what came through was his love for uh, that product. Yeah. Lo- his his love for reading Rainbow. Oh, and, passion! And, 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 and I have yeah, a, I have I have an audio to play when Lavar eleven hours into his thirty five day quest to get a million dollars. <laughs> when him and his team realized that they were at one million dollars already, uh, I do have a, a an audio to play, and you can tell Lavar. Must have taken some time off between hitting a million dollars and recording this audio, but you can hear the tears in his voice of how happy he is. But let's start off, and this was your idea, Professor Allen. Right now, as we start recording at 7.56 p.m. on uh, Thursday, what is it, the 29th of May, he is at $2,233,292. Of his one million, so they're they've more than doubled their thing, and we will check back on that number at the end of the show. But uh, let me just play. Maybe should we play the uh, the actual Kickstarter video? I don't see why not. I don't see why not. So while we're on Reading Rainbow, I am going to play right off the website here uh, his pitch, and I might have to do some uh, audio commentary because some of it's visual. <laughs> so here we here we go. This is the Reading Rainbow. Kickstarter. You can Google that, folks, and you can still donate. You have 33 days to donate. Please do. It's a great cause. There's Lavar's walking into the school. Hi there. I'm Lavar Burton. I'm here to film a Kickstarter video. No, everyone's mouth is open, and they're well, just flabbergasted that Lavar is there. One guy just—he just dropped his papers. They're all stunned. You know what? I'm pretty sure I can find it myself, thanks. Hey, he's going to find the, the room himself. All right. <laughs> One guy throws up the uh, live long and prosper sign. <laughs> Here's the kids. The kids in the Hi. cafeteria. You guys know where I can find room 24? Same thing. Mouths open, dropping their sandwiches, pointing to the right room. Thank you. <laughs> this is great. It's a great video. You got to check it out. Just uh, Google Kickstarter Reading Rainbow. Hi there. We're shooting a Kickstarter video here. I'm looking for room 24. It's all good. <laughs> Everyone's stunned to see LeVar Burton there, right? At the school. Uh, to fly in the sky. <laughs> I can go twice as high. <laughs> That's great. Take a look. It's in a book. Really I'm getting, oh, Jordy with us. Hi. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm here in Room 24 and here on Kickstarter so that together we can bring Reading Rainbow back for every child, everywhere. 
We're creating an unlimited library of books and video field trips for today's digitally connected kids. Delivered through browsers right into schools and homes everywhere. Every child everywhere. And I want to make this completely free to classrooms in need. That's right, you heard me. Free. How? Well, the answer is you. You've already helped create terrific films and leading-edge tech products. I'm asking you to join with me in having an impact on this next generation of children the same way we may have had an impact on you. Butterfly in the sky. For 30 yeah. years, we've excited generations of children about books. We've helped open the door to the world of the written word and through video field trips, connected those books to the world in which you live. Ever since the show went off the air in 2009, I've heard from so many people on Twitter, Facebook, and people that I meet on the street every day that quality, trusted educational content is fairly scarce in the current media landscape. That reading Rainbow needs to come back for today's kids. But what does that mean? 30 minutes on TV was yesterday's world. In today's world, today's kids want today's technology. Two years ago, we took the first step. We launched the all-new Reading Rainbow iPad app. Get it now, folks. hundreds of quality interactive books and video field trips right into their laps. I am incredibly proud that over 13 million books and video field trips have been enjoyed by hundreds of thousands of children on tablets and that we're the number one educational app for kids. However, just being on tablets simply won't get the job done for way too many of our families. This Kickstarter campaign is about reaching every web-connected child. Universal access. Thousands of more books than we have now and hundreds of more video field trips. With the money pledge here, we are going to do three things. One, develop a web-enabled reading rainbow that reaches into our homes. Two, create a classroom version with the tools our teachers need such as supplemental learning materials. And three, we are going to subsidize the cost to classrooms so our cash-strapped schools can access Reading Rainbow for free. Classrooms, PCs, Android, TVs, and free to those in need. It's a huge undertaking, and I can't do it alone, nor frankly, should I have to. Reading Rainbow has always been made possible, as the saying goes, by viewers like you. So together, we truly can bring Reading Rainbow back for every child, everywhere. And if you decide to join me on this mission to educate the next generation, there's nothing wrong with picking up some cool swag and some one-of-a-kind rewards. Want me to read your favorite stories to your family? Done. Personally autographed posters showing you made this happen? Done. Star in a new video field trip with me, done again. Kick back with me at Comic-Con, done. Skype with you, record your outgoing voicemail, have dinner together, done, done, and... Uh, professor, we should probably uh, donate and, and get dinner with LeVar, I'm just saying. <laughs> I might even let you wear this. He's, of course, holding up the, uh, the hairband <laughs> from Star Trek. So, let's do this, y'all. Together, we can create and deliver a proven tool for encouraging the love of reading to millions of children. We can genuinely change the world one children's book at a time. Reading Rainbow, 
is back for every child, everywhere, but you don't have to take my word for it. Is coloring in another one of the colorful children on his map there of the earth? <laughs> I'll see you next time. That's awesome. Yeah, you know what? I think a wonderful cause. Reading Rainbow, uh, other than my mom being a big reader and uh, getting me into books and, and making me excited about books, and of course, Audible in my adult life, uh, helping me get back into books, uh, reading Rainbow was huge mm-hmm. back Absolutely. in the day. And by the way, I'll give you an update. We are now at uh, the Reading Rainbow cause is now at $2,240,558 of their $1 million total. And they did, uh, this, this started yesterday. Uh, and in, in 11 hours, they hit their million. But uh, wow, 33 that's days a, to go. That's another $7,000 in just, what, the eight minutes we've been recording? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like 10 minutes. Uh, and folks, uh, I'm going to say to all our listeners, even if you give a dollar, it's a dollar minimum pledge. You don't get nothing for the dollar. But take a look at the menu. Uh, at your various donation levels, you do get like mugs and, and different stuff. If, if you're more wealthy uh, and, and you can afford $500 or so, uh, and, and you do love children, you want children to read and be more intelligent, and you want to improve the world. Every child that can read and enjoys reading is uh, one less gangster on, on the streets. It's, uh, it, you, you're genuinely putting your money towards making the world a better place, I think. Uh, for, from a, a dollar to a million dollars, donate what you can. Just Google Kickstarter Reading Rainbow, and you will find the site. There's 33 days to go. Hang on, 33. 33 days to go. You that's can a, still donate. That's a magic number. Yeah, absolutely it is. 33 is always a magic number. But uh, donate what you can, even a dollar, through your PayPal account, your Visa. Uh, and really, this is one of the greatest causes, I think. Uh, this is better than donating to the Clinton Foundation. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> now, you know, Paul, I am totally in favor of this reading rainbow thing. You know that. But I'll be honest. I'm waiting for the wishbone Kickstarter. The wishbone. That, that was my daughter Emily's favorite book-related show when she was growing up. Are you kidding? Wishbone was a dog, and they'd reenact the adventures from books. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> not as cool as LeVar Burton at the Chinese, no, Chinese restaurant. Right. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we going to do some book news, Professor Allen? I, th- I think that is the biggest piece of book news, but there's a little bit more. Okay, well, you know, before we go to book news, you know, I do want to play this uh, last audio clip. This is uh, actually really cool. This is LeVar Burton yesterday live uh, at – he was struggling to think that he would get a million dollars within 35 days. And 11 hours into his uh, Kickstarter fund uh, raiser, they hit a million. Here's the audio. Nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine, four hundred dollars for now. Thirty seconds. One million dollars. And he he didn't eat, and ask me anything on Reddit, and they were not expecting this. They were not expecting to reach their million in one day. I think they're going to hit twenty, thirty million. I hope they do. They're hugging. So, listen to his voice. Um, I don't know what to say. We've just crossed the million-dollar threshold. It is our first day. I uh, am overwhelmed. Thank you so much. This- Can you tell Professor Allen that that is something close to his heart? 
absolutely. And I think the lesson here, Paul, is that Star Trek geeks, A, have money, B, have kids. Yes, and they love children. They love money. <laughs> but let me continue here. And there's tears in his eyes. He, this is obviously something close to his heart, the education of children. This is going to enable us to really, really, really do a lot of good. I am so proud that this community has come together to support this effort. And it's, it's, it's a people's thing. It's the five, it's the 10, it's the 25, it's, it's the $1 pledges. It's unbelievable. Or actually, it's actually very believable. Thank you so much. We are literally changing the world. Um, one children's book at a time. God bless. And you know, Professor, normally I do this one. For anyone that does something cool in the show, I'm going to give LeVar Burton the first one of these. That's for LeVar. Doing a great job there. Uh, folks, just Google Kickstarter Reading Rainbow. Donate even a dollar, please. If we can get all of our you know, tens of thousands of uh, listeners to just donate one dollar to this cause. And then please... Help the Reading Rainbow. And Professor, I think we're going to go right into book news right now. What do you say? Let's hit it. Book news. All right. I got first story. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Have you ever heard of a uh, choose your own adventure, Professor Allen? Of course. Okay. I was uh, yeah, six, eight, 10, 12 years old, of course. Of course. And our, our, our favorite homosexual on the Book Guys show is who? It's Neil Patrick Harris. Come on. Don't tell John Barrowman. said that. Okay. Well, listen, John, John Barrowman doesn't want to be on the show, so we'll give Neil Patrick Harris our number one homosexual of Book Guys show, all right? <laughs> so he's, he's done his uh, autobiography as a choose-your-own-adventure. How cool is that? <laughs> I love it. Apparently, he's formatted his autobiography as a choose-your-own-adventure, and uh, you know, including his own choices, and he's kind of uh, predicted where his choices were have gone, had he chosen the wrong way or whatnot. <laughs> I think this is great, and it's called uh, Neil Patrick Harris, Choose Your Own Autobiography, and uh, pre-order that, folks, and that's at nphbook.com. Go, and Neil... Neil Patrick, get on this show, man. Uh, Professor Allen, we got to get on this. We got to talk to his agent. We got Neil Patrick, NPH himself, on the show. (laughs) That story is pretty amazing. I love that. Choose your own adventure autobiography. (laughs) What what else you got, Professor Allen, in the book news uh, scenario? I've got one. We've talked maybe six months ago about Kindle Worlds, this way to allow. You know, fan fiction writers to officially get their works out and, and sell them you know, under the auspices, under the permission of certain um, uh, literary properties. Okay. And there's an awesome one for vampire diaries. Now, stick with me here, Paul. Okay? All right, all right, all right. You lost me at vampires, but okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. The, the original writer of the Vampire Diaries books, L.J. Smith, after writing the series for about 20 years, was fired uh, from the publishing company. It's just the way the deal works, the publishing company actually owns right. the property. Yeah, the, the, and, these and rights been are, high, just they complicate of, everything, uh, right? The rights, digital rights and... Yeah, and, rights. and she, you know, the original writer was just a uh, you know, hired gun to write these stories and had done so for... Over 20 years. Right. And 
but it turns out that Vampire Diaries is part of the Kindle Worlds program. Ooh. And since she's been fired, she has written, quote-unquote, fan fiction for Vampire Diaries that oh, are currently brilliant. Out, that are currently outselling the, quote-unquote, official versions. Brilliant. That's brilliant. That is genius. That is the book, guys. Two thumbs up, story of the week. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll, I'll give her a second. One of these. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, but, but, I mean, the interesting question is, you know, what is more important? Is the franchise more important or is the author more important? You know, right. we, we have cases of authors, you know, when they've passed away of their estates finding new authors to continue the series. Oh, right. Just like uh, Douglas Adams. Uh, there was the, right. the, the fifth and the, no, sorry, the fourth and the, uh, I don't know, which or whatever it was, but. Uh, <laughs> There's a name. quote unquote new. Right. A new. Uh, yeah. And, in, in, I mean, in the uh, same, you know, sort of yeah, style, yeah. but it's never the same, is it? Yeah. Just within the last couple of weeks, there's been the first new Spencer uh, detective yeah. novel. I think it was e- Eli, Eli Coffer who did the, uh, he did the uh, the Douglas Adams, yeah, yeah Owen Kofor, and uh, you know, there's a quote unquote new uh, Spencer novel a couple of years after Robert B. Parker's death. Nice, uh, Robert Ludlum. There are others of these yeah. series that have been continued, and they're usually not as good. But if you, to me, if if you have the chance of sticking with the original author, absolutely, like yeah. in this case, that's your that's your winning winning combination. And I love the fact that. The readers were loyal to her and not just loyal to the property. Okay. Now, Professor, now we're going to take a quick break because we're about 20 minutes in. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk about comics, comic books, maybe some more book news. Little podcasts. A little podcast. Oh, interview. yeah. We're going to do all that stuff. But, but, but stay tuned. And since we haven't sworn yet, I'm not going to play the Cyrus one. I'll play the... <laughs> Bernard Robichaud one. Did you uh, get a chance to listen to that episode, uh, Professor Allen? That was fun. Even even the episodes where I'm not here, I kind of like those too. Yeah, I love when I remember I'm, I was a listener yeah. <laughs> before I was a co-host. That's right. That's right. And, and Bernard was a surprisingly great guest and really into books. It was great. Now his character Cyrus was not into books. He he liked uh, <laughs> Doctor Suess. But uh, folks, if you missed that 103, uh, he liked Doctor Suess. And uh, but Bernard was very uh, you know he'll be back by the way, folks. He will be back on Skype when we have Sam and Anonymous Amy in uh, in studio, and we might even get the boys on. We may even have Mike, Rob, and Jean Paul in in not in studio. They'll probably be in Nova Scotia. We'll have the boys on as well because things never go wrong when we promise guests. Never, never at all. <laughs> but we did promise Cyrus and... Hi, this is Bernard Robichaud. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys. And you're listening to The Book Guys. Ah, book Guys. Professor Allen, when you say hit it, I'll hit it. Hit it. Comic books, comic books, comic books. Uh, what do you got? What do you got for us? Is it uh, some Justice League, some Avengers? What's going on? What's happening? In comic books, I've, professor. I've got two things. One is actually a what? Oh, they both also fit in the "what have I been reading lately" category. Oh, hang on, hang on. Then we, we, hang on, that's not sports. Hang on, we'll do this. We what? don't. We don't edit, folks. 
What's on your... Hey, what's on your comic book rack, Professor? What's on your... What are you reading, buddy? What are you reading? What are you reading? All right, what are you reading, Professor? I love it. I've got two things. One I've mentioned before. It's actually a nonfiction book called Billion Dollar Batman. Ooh. And it's a, uh, by Bruce Schiavalli. Is that like a richer Batman who has better, cooler tools? <laughs> it's about... It's it's about the history of the Batman franchise. It's uh it's it's about all the versions of Batman other than the comic books. So he starts in the nineteen forties and fifties with right. the movie serials and the the radio show. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Obviously talks about the Adam West, moves into the Justice League, then the the, the Tim Burton movies, the terrific animation yeah. in the nineties and two thousands and then and then the Chris Nolan movies. Very in depth, very detailed. It is unofficial, which means fan, the, fan fiction kind of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, the the advantage is he can tell a story that's that's not. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take this moment to to say like uh, going back through the now our, our our comic book heroes, their birth date every year moves up by one year, <laughs> right? So if you look if you look fair. back, and it's kind of neat to have these books like uh, it's Superman. I forget the name of the author, but uh, the great. audiobook on Audible, and folks, go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys. You can get this for free if you haven't tried audiobooks yet. It's Superman. I forget the name of the author, but it is read by Scott Brick, and he yeah. does a great Clark Kent, a great Superman. And It's Superman, by, uh, read by Scott Brick, is set in the 1940s. Tom DeHaven. Tom DeHaven, exactly. Thank you. And uh, it is based in the 1940s when uh, Superman started. And, you know, hey, everyone's talking like this, see? Right? And it's great. And, and it goes back to where you can leap a, a, you know, a building in a single bound, but he couldn't fly yet. So it's kind of neat to see these, uh, especially the, green, the old Green Lantern audio dramas. Right. You know, he was just a guy. He had an actual lantern. You know, we're now in, you know, in, the, <laughs> now in 2014, Green Lantern has this, like, uh, magical uh, space device. But he used to be an actual Green Lantern. He has to light it. You know, and get the power into the ring. <laughs> but these are great. So, so tell us a bit more about this, uh, Professor. So it's really just like I said. It's a it's an unofficial version, which means uh, I think the the good thing is it's not you know it's not written by the studio. It's not written by the company. Right. So you get the good, the bad, and those are everything. The, best. Uh, the drawback is since it is unofficial, there aren't very many cool pictures like there would be right if it were official. But yeah. I think probably in balance. It's probably better, uh, better being an unofficial version of the history. But great stories about the costumes, the various costumes, the movies, the TV show. Terrific stuff. Really enjoyed it. It's very detailed. It's very thorough. A lot of footnotes at the end. It's not quite academic. There are parts where it's a little dry, though. So I, I took it in slow chunks over a month or two. It's, nice. it's, it's not one that you just sit down and... and and whip through, but very, uh, very highly recommended. Billion dollar Batman. Billion sort of dollar history. Batman. History of the Caped Crusader. Fantastic. As he's sort of become really a just a, a global icon. Now, uh, Professor Allen, I know you're a Doom fan. You're uh, maybe Absolutely. you're slanted a little bit to the Marvel side, a little bit. You know, a little bit Avengers, uh, Doctor yeah. Doom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, have you have you got a chance to watch yet? The uh, the uh, animated feature Justice League War. I've not seen it now. So it's it's kind it's kind of like an origin story for the Justice League itself. Right. It's the first time they're meeting each other. 
you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern. Uh, and of course, they're fighting Darkseid. It's an alien invasion of Earth with Darkseid. And I'm looking at this uh, animation. I'm thinking, this has to be Justice League movie when it happens. We have to see Darkseid. We have to see, you know, uh, and we're going to see Batman meeting Superman for the first time. And part of this uh, narrative is going to happen in the Batman versus Superman uh, Rise of Justice. Awful, that movie awful at this title. point is supposed to include you know, Wonder Woman, maybe a Flash, yeah, maybe I, I a Green say, Arrow, maybe the ones from TV. They haven't quite. Awful title. Yeah. <laughs> Rise of Justice. Come <laughs> yeah. on. Awful title. There, I've there, got a feeling by the time it uh, by the time it comes out, it'll just be called Justice League or the yeah. Birth of Justice. But it's gonna I, be, I think uh, they're slowly moving us towards uh, that. For, first of all, Batman versus Superman: Rise of Justice. Superman gets second billing on his own movie. That's not cool, man. Not cool. Well, there you know <laughs> there is some uh, there is some consternation yeah. to say it, put it mildly among. I, I gotta Superman say though, fans. I saw the bat the Batmobile. I've seen Ben Affleck, uh, ben Affleck in his costume. He is looking buff. He is not wearing armor. He's wearing a skin-tight suit, and he's put on some weight. He's looking good for Batman, and it's all been black and white. Now, I'm going to guess that he's going to be wearing the blue and gray, which to me is awesome. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, they have to do something different. Yeah. They have to do something different from Nolan and even from Burton. So Yeah. So, but uh, I, I think Justice League War, folks, the animation. Look for it if you be can. A good template. Uh, this could be good. This could be really good. Uh, update again, Professor Allen. It's now a two million two hundred fifty-six thousand four hundred thirty-nine dollars. That's twenty-three thousand dollars higher than when we started. Yeah, it's four hundred sixty-nine dollars now. It's literally going up as I look at the the, the page here. Uh, I'm sure it'd be going up quicker, but it's like a whoa, six hundred sixty. Someone just added two hundred dollars. Holy crap! Now, and Professor, the amazing Allen, thing is more than fifty thousand backers. Yeah, it's it's so, yeah. No, the breadth they're getting close to fifty one thousand. Yeah, this is great. Uh, again, folks, just Google Kickstarter Reading Rainbow. Donate a dollar if you can from your PayPal account, your Visa. It's it's a worthwhile cause. Uh, and just take a look at all the premiums you can get, uh, reading rainbow mugs and all this kind of swag, which is uh, stands for stuff we all get. Um, <laughs> but you don't all get it. You have to. You have to donate, right? You have to. Do- oh, I just dropped my cigarette on you. I'm on fire, Professor Allen. <laughs> I'm on fire. So uh, we're gonna take a quick break again, Professor Allen. Unless you have any more comic book news. No. Uh, I hear we have an excellent interview. That you did. I did. Please, explain. I talked to a, a podcasting buddy of mine named Chris Honeywell from the Two True Freaks Network. About 10 episodes ago, we okay. talked to his partner, Scott Gardner. And in this case, um, I wanted to talk to Chris about the new season of his show, Garage Sale Gloat. Nice. One of, yeah, one of the things he does to earn part of his living is go from garage sale to garage sale, buy stuff, sell it on eBay. So he's got some great stories about finds that he's... This is almost like uh, Storage Wars. This is great. Exactly. Yeah, a reality little Storage show. Wars, little American pickers. <laughs> nice. And he's got, he's got some great stories about collecting books, what books sell, what books don't sell, that sort of thing. Nice. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with that interview. And after the interview... I think we're going to talk some podcasts, my friend. Sounds good. 
All right, let's do it. Hey, I'm Jared E. And I'm Jessica May. And I'm a Popanax from FlashPulp.com, and you're listening to The Book Guys. This is Professor Allen with a special interview for The Book Guy Show. From the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, this is Chris Honeywell. Hello. Welcome to The Book Guy Show. I'm glad to be on The Book Guy Show. I love books. Oh my God, you, would, you wouldn't believe. In episode 96, we talked to Scott Gardner, the other of the two freaks, so it's only fair that we speak also with you. <laughs> now, my question is a question I asked. Scott, so I'm going to ask it to you as well, and that is, how long did it take you to be able to say two true freaks without stumbling over any of the words? I still do it. I remember when we thought it up, we were like, that's great. Nobody's ever <laughs> be able to say it. I was in a band for 20 years. Technically, I still am called the Peachy Nietzsche's. And uh, named after the, you know, the, the philosopher, we would never spell our name the same on anything. Technically, I guess the official title of it, I guess, would be Peachy spelled like Frederick Nietzsche or Nietzsche, but it's Peachy Nietzsche. And when the internet came, nobody could do a search for us because sometimes we'd spell Peachy P-E-A-C-H-Y. There were people, you know, we had contests that people were coming up with like P-I-C-C-I, N-I-C-C-I. So 20 plus years ago, you were not thinking search engine optimization. No. <laughs> Imagine that. Now, we start off all of our episodes with the what are you reading segment. So whether it's on your nightstand, your tablet, or that big stack next to the recliner, Chris Honeywell, what are you reading? I am reading The Supervisor's Factomatic by Jack Horn, which is in a loose leaf binder. And it's a, it's a corporate guidebook for supervisors on how to run a business. I got it because it has a lot of crazy advice on how to treat your workers. It's basically the handbook of how to be the boss from hell. Um, (laughs) Unintentional, I take it. I don't know. I found this book through a string of, actually it all started with Two True Freaks, as one of our uh, listeners, Mark Kambach, is also an avid garage sailor, and he, he buys mostly books. And a lot of times if he has something that he's uh, not overly fond of or whatever or thinks I'll like it, he'll, he'll send it off to me. And he sent me this comic and it was called The Worst Thing I Ever Did. It was just a collection of stories that people had compiled from people who anonymously wrote about the worst thing they'd ever done. And some of them are really like they slacked off at work or, and some of them are really evil. Well, that's I was reading, Yeah, yeah. And I was reading the introduction of it. And uh, the author had said that he was inspired to make this book because he had read this book called um, Sabotage in the American Workplace. And that that was the inspiration for it. So then automatically I'm like, I have to read Sabotage in the American Workplace. (laughs) So I got on eBay and found a copy of it. And it was one of the it was a big coffee table paperback. And it was uh, the same sort of thing. Very anecdotal you know, one or two page stories of how people had subverted their work or, or goofed off or were ripping off their employer. As I was reading it, they would have sidebars with little quotes that sort of pertained to the stories from various philosophers or mo- business moguls and stuff. But they kept quoting the supervisor's factomatic. 
and I'm reading it and I'm like, is this some sort of weird onion like satire that someone made or, you know, from the Church of the Subgenius or something? So I got on eBay and I found a copy of the supervisor's Factomatic and uh no, it's it's the real deal. <laughs> Pushing 500 pages. It's like, yeah, 475 pages. I can't imagine what the person was thinking who put that on eBay. It was from a Salvation Army. A, a lot of the books I've been getting lately have been from turned out to be Salvation Armies when when I um when I get them because I'm cheap. Cuz if there were other copies of the Supervisor's Factomatic on eBay, they were $20. Well, it's because 475 pages, a fine you know, three-ring binder, corporate America speak. It's uh, And now I am sort of have a little obsession, I think, with finding other books like this, employee handbooks that you'll get for corporate jobs. I think I want to get my hands on some of those and read them because I've worked a couple corporate jobs, and I remember getting my employee handbook and reading it and just going, oh, my God, <laughs> this is basically <laughs> Orwellian, you know? When, when you have like morality clauses of what you need to do and you know or what you can't do in your private life, exactly. stuff like that. But the wording of it, I just love the way the the mixture of like Orwellian doublespeak and legalese, you know, to avoid prosecution. So I think that might be my latest book obsession. You've sort of hinted at this, but in terms of this eBay buying and selling and so on. You've been doing that for quite some time, but just last year, you turned this hobby slash second or third income of yours into a podcast. So talk about Garage Sale Gloat, the show, and then also talk about sort of how you got into that uh, line of work, if you will. Well, when I was a little kid, my dad was an avid um, antiquer, not even just an antiquer, just going out and looking for junk. He used to go out with his buddies and they'd call themselves the Scrounger Boys. Scrounger Boys are going out and they would go to antique stores and garage sales and stuff. You know, my dad would always find all this crazy stuff. It, it was very Indiana Jones-like in a lot of ways. Sometimes you'd, you'd get – and he was always interested in the history of the stuff so he'd know the story behind it. There was an actual human scalp that went through our house <laughs> at one point. Nice. Uh, and once you get to be a person like that, people will show up with – will start bringing you weird stuff because they're just like, who else would want this? I grew, I grew up around that and I always noticed that my dad would always – was always really good at, at finding stuff he could buy really cheap and turning around and selling it at a huge profit to the point of where I always used to, I always used to pick on him because he would get – he was working for a chemical company – that would fly them all over the place. If they were setting up a plant in Dubai, say, he would be in charge of the construction of the plant. He hated it, working for a company, but they would just offer him more money to do it. And I was just like, you could just go into business buying and selling your junk, you know? And he was just like, yeah, I know. And then about five years ago, I was just like, why don't I do that? <laughs> I'd already been selling stuff on eBay, but I was just like, if I go out garage selling regularly, I could probably do it. And I went, I'm I'm working a job now, but that's just because I kind of miss manual labor for the for the last five years. Before that, yeah, eBay was my source of income. I mean, so when I heard about the show, when I, when I listened to the show, obviously there's a Sanford and Son vibe to it. I did not realize that there was an actual father son connection in the show. 
oh yeah, my father died three years ago. And so I, I took care of the estate. I still got a garage full of my father's oh, stuff, sure. you know, uh, and a lot of it like on display in my house. So someday I'm going to, I'll put up on Facebook a whole bunch of pictures of, because uh, everybody puts up their nerd caves and right. their podcasting centers. <laughs> and let me tell you, uh, and when I say you nerds, I mean everybody who's listening and every nerd in the world. <laughs> uh, you know who you are. You're all on my Facebook list or whatever. You guys are so neat and organized. <laughs> I look at the shelves and the display of like, they, it's like, okay, there's the Marvel part. There's the DC figures, but there's some definite rhyme or reason to it. You know, there's been a definite organization of it. One nerd might I mean, not understand the other nerd system, but there is a system. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you see pictures in my house, it looks like a hurricane, a nerd hurricane. <laughs> but I know where every everything is that... I need to know about, you know, <laughs> it's filed in a different way. <laughs> Even the ones who have out of control, like collections and stuff, it's still stacked right. neatly. It's like a bunker. <laughs> now, this uh, this sort of concept has been big the last couple of years on the TV. Yeah. With the pickers and the hoarders and all of that. But My business has suffered for it. <laughs> How so? Because everybody's watches those shows now. Ah, right. So when you show up at their apartment, they're either either they have an inflated sense of value for stuff, or they'll cop an attitude with me. With with me, and I, I honestly, I'm not one of those people who storms in and plows through people's stuff. It's 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 got to be a social fun right. experience. So I go in and I'm fr- and I consider it quite gauche. For somebody at the garage sale to be like, "Oh, are you going to sell that on eBay?" You know, and uh, you know, and it makes me want to go. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I often uh, this is awful. I'll lie to them. I'll be like, "Oh no, I just I collect this stuff. This is just beautiful. I uh, take this home, and put it up on my shelf. I put it up on my shelf for a while while it's waiting to be sold on eBay." Because three ring binders of management speak is really what I love. I gotta say, a good portion of stuff. Is it's it's like it's like the the drug dealers who are like oh you got to be a drug dealer to support your own habit so you know <laughs> tell us about so again we're talking about the podcast is garage sale gloat and last summer you did a dozen ish or so episodes yeah and it's going to be coming back this summer I take it it definitely is it's probably going to be coming back within the next few weeks because the weather's getting good here. It has to the garage sales have to get to a certain density. Sure. But we are operating now as as anybody who's listened to Garage Sale Gloat knows with an annoying Tom Tom navigator <laughs> which allows us to go, you know, ahead of time, go to Craigslist. Is there. Yeah. Put them all in there and have a whole itinerary and have Tom Tom just drive us from one to another. It's doubled the amount of garage sales we can get to in a day. And what I like about the show, you do some live recordings sort of as you are garage sailing or at least driving from place to place talking about the scores. And then there's the follow-up where you talk about the process of putting it on eBay, hopefully selling, maybe not selling. So you sort of take us through the, all of those steps, which I, which I like. Do you have a couple of examples of some of the major scores that you've pulled off, the books, games, Star Wars-related things? Mm-hmm. What's the best deal you found? Star Wars-related stuff. I mostly keep the Star Wars stuff. <laughs> but um, books, of course I've, you I've had a 
Books and records are tough because the condition is hard to judge by a picture. There's, there's sure, things right. about the condition that people are finicky about. If you're really looking to, for money on eBay with books, yearbooks. Yearbooks are guaranteed to sell pretty much, it seems. What's your thinking behind that? People have lost their yearbook. Oh, right. And sure. In that, you're, doing, looking, yeah, you're looking for something very specific. And they're, well, or they're doing Google searches for the, the class of their high school that year, and the eBay auction could probably come up. Colleges, especially big, you know, the bigger the, the bigger the school and the older the yearbook, the more money it's worth. And phone books, that, that was what my right. first yeah, you, big... Yeah, you've mentioned that again in, in an episode uh, last year. What, what's behind that, do you think? I think it's genealogy sure, because right. I was given the phone books. It was from an estate sale that my, my roommate and I we were helping this lady. It was, it was after her estate sale and my roommate had a secondhand clothing store. So she went there to help the lady go through some clothing. And I went there just to go along because we didn't know who she was. And I was like, oh, I'll bring another person along. And so we started talking to this lady and befriending her. And after they'd had the estate sale and they were throwing everything out and she was trying to get us to take everything because she didn't want to throw it out, but she didn't want to keep it. And, you know, she ended up shoving these phone books into my hand in a, in a, <laughs> a grocery bag and say, here, do you want these phone books? And I'm thinking, oh, geez, what, you know, and, you, and you then I'm thinking, these off oh, the recycling we, on the way home. We can right? just throw this stuff away, exactly. you know, if it <laughs> makes her feel better or whatever. And then I'm looking at the phone books and I go, oh, okay, I'll take them. These have some beautiful graphic design and beautiful art on the cover of them. And so I bring them home and one of them was from Buffalo, New York in the 30s. And a friend of mine was looking at it and he's just like, hey, you know, that's that would be when my grandfather had his deli in Buffalo. I wonder if it's in here. And he looks it up and he's like, oh, my God, there's my grandfather's deli. And then he found his grandfather's name. And uh, took pictures of all of it and was really excited about it. So I think that's what happens is people go, and it's a great source of history. The one from Buffalo went for $550 or something. Yeah. It was one of those things where I posted it up and it sort of shot up to like $50. And I was going, oh my God, this is great. You know, I can't believe this. You know, $50 for a phone book. Who would have thought? And it just kept going and going and going. In the last 10 minutes, I was watching it and it was up to $60. And I was like, woohoo, this is amazing. And then I got distracted, probably working on a podcast or something, and said, oh, I better see if that auction ends and see what I got for it. And it was at $550. And I was like, a decimal point shift or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I had another one from New York City from the 40s. And that one went for 200 something. That is crazy. Got a couple months rent out of it. <laughs> and uh, the other great book find, it's it wasn't, I think this book ended up selling for maybe $50 or something like that. But uh, we were at another estate sale and it was a hardbound copy of the Itsy Bitsy Spider. There was something about the way it was bound in the printing. And you, you can just tell with some books when there's been really fine quality put into it. And, uh, and I noticed that they had a whole collection of books from this book publisher, and it was like $2. So I brought it home, and it had really nice illustrations in it. And then I started really looking at the, the book and the information on it. 
and found out it was one of 150. Whoa. And this was during the flapper days. And, and it was a rich family in New York City, socialite family in New York City, and it was their daughter's like seventh birthday. So they had a party and they invited 150 people and everybody got a copy of the Itsy Bitsy Spider. Wow. Yeah, custom, custom bound, custom published. Yeah, it was just amazingly printed. It must have cost a fortune. I mean, we know this from comic books, certainly applies to books and any collectible, is that the key is not very many of them made. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, the secret is scarcity. I thought a lot of people don't get that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if you mentioned it on the show last year or I was just thinking about it. And that's that if you've ever seen this book for sale at an airport, right? by definition, <laughs> it's not a collectible. Even at, at, at $1 at the yard sale, you're not going to get your dollar back. No. There are just no, there, too many copies of, of like it. That. And then there's a lot of books that, that are obscure too, and they might be worth a lot of money, but there's two or three people in the world who might want them. Right, <laughs> and, right. they, and they're not on eBay. And if they're not on eBay for that week. You don't meet up with them. And I think people mostly go to Amazon for books. Why, why I don't know for used books because you don't even get a look at it at I I don't have a credit card, or I would have an Amazon account, and that's what I, where I was going to put all my books. For for other things, have you had pretty good luck selling on on eBay? Oh yeah, a lot of people complain about eBay, and eBay has definitely taken more money over the years. But it, it's been a pretty stable. I can almost have a stable equation if I if I evened out all those five years of garage sale and then. Average about five dollars to every dollar that you spend. I don't want to say I'm really good at it because there's probably a lot of neat stuff <laughs> that I just right, looked at right. and put back down, and, and I'll never know. But like you said, but, you started this young, so you've developed yeah, yeah, that yeah. eye. It's directly from my father. My specialty, I think, with garage sales is going there and finding the stuff that nobody else has looked. And nobody else would even think. I'll, right. you know, you can go to a garage sale and somebody's just like. Oh, look at this Hess truck. I I want $50 for this. This is from oh, this is from the 70s. It's an old Hess truck. These are collectible. Meanwhile, you go to their tchotchke <laughs> table where everything's <laughs> a quarter and that's where you might find the really good stuff, you know, or the oh, that's just an old comic books and that's where all the lights start dinging in my head. But then again, you go the, then they go I was a comic book collector in the 90s. This is my collection. Uh, I was going to pay my way through college with this. And then it's it's X-Force number one for $5 and stuff like that. And uh, as we said, we've promoted the name of my comic book podcast is The Quarter Bin Show, Mm -hmm. which is because I can get those comics that you're talking about for 25 cents. I was at a bookstore explaining that to the owner, the grumpy (laughs) owner who's having none of it. And he was like, oh, those are $2 a piece. And I was like, yeah, they're pretty beat up. And he goes, no, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at them. I know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) uh, I had to sit there and and sort of go back and forth with him for a while. I had a few books, too, and then just like said, well, look, I'll give you $15 for the whole thing. And okay. And the scourge of garage selling for me is seeing a box of comics and then going over and doing the little flip through. And it's like... 90s, 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 all yeah. the bagged and boarded, and yeah, two bucks organized. each, three bucks each. Yeah. Same goes for action figures. There's a lot of people right. with action figures still in the boxes 
this is this is twenty years old. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. <laughs> yeah, but you bought it at Walmart. You bought it at Walmart, exactly. And there was a row of fifty of them. They, they stamped out eighteen million of them, and there's still eighteen million of them out there, except yeah. for a few that have died in fires and stuff. But it's different now because there there really wasn't much of a time in the olden days where people were like, I better put this away. This is a collector's item. Right. You know, I'm not taking this out of the box. That, and that's why all that stuff is so valuable now. Not only did they make 18 million of them, like you said, the, all 18 million are still in their original in their sealed boxes. Yeah, boxes, meaning they're all worth a quarter. Yep. I see them all. I have, I, I was at one garage sale and these little old ladies had Star Trek collector's plates. <laughs> And I see them going for six, seven bucks on eBay. They wanted fifty dollars a piece for them. I, I don't want want to be step out of line here, but I don't think you're going to sell these fifty dollars a piece. Just and then the lady started patiently explaining to me that Star Trek was an old TV show. You see, <laughs> I was probably too young to remember. I also had a lady patiently <laughs> explain to me an estate sale as I held a, a Lego kit of a battle droid in a box that was beaten 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 up she wanted like 25 dollars for it and i said i just i don't mean to to sound out of line but i'd give you like a dollar for it <laughs> and then she said well you see that's from the original movie in 1976 that's why that's worth so much and i'm like no this is from the 2001 prequels but it says episode one right on it exactly Chris. exactly that was the, that was <laughs> Just where we're going, and I was just like, just, just leave now. Just leave. Thank you. <laughs> well, our uh, our official position on the Book Guy Show is that we love the Star Wars movies, all three of them. My relationship <laughs> with the prequels is complicated. On <laughs> Facebook. So we're talking about Garage Sale Gloat, a show that's going to be coming back on the Two True Freaks Network. And as we've sort of hinted at, there's a little Star Trek, Star Wars comic book knowledge. That you have as well. So t- uh, tell us a little bit about some of the other shows that are on the Two True oh, Freaks Network. Not everyone. We give you the uh, the blanket forgiveness for, <laughs> for the people failing to mention a few of the shows. Because there are about, I would guess, 25 shows on the network. Some, maybe 15 some, to 20 that are pretty active. I would say like 18 active, active shows. And then a couple sporadic shows and then a bu- there's there's a few shows that i guess pod faded or they've or they, they're waiting Retired. for somebody to have time <laughs> to do other <laughs> episodes of them. i've got a couple scott's got a couple but the main that we built the whole thing around was, was the scott's and my podcast are first week is star wars monthly monday which has been the marvel star wars comics but we're just about wrapped up with that and we'll be there's universes of other star wars comics so we're never going to run out of those and then we've got two star trek episodes the next week one of the original series the kirk style and then a a next generation one chris did you know that star trek was a tv show in the 1960s i heard it was very popular (laughs) i wasn't alive in the 60s it's very collectible i hear stuff like that i i hear all that stuff is (laughs) is is really collectible and then the third week is comic Monthly Monday, which also has Michael Bailey on it. We've managed to wrangle him for a few years. We'll we'll see how long it takes him to figure out how much he's been suckered on that. And then we wrap it up, wrap up the month with a commentary. But geez, we've got niche shows, you know, on very specific 
characters like um, Sean Engel does a Green Lantern podcast and we've got ones just on genres like Luke Giaconetti's got Earth Destruction Directive, which is all Daikaiju. And then I do a show where we do horror called The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. You've got The Walking Dead show. The Walking Dead show. Bounce back and forth between the comic book and the TV show. Pretty soon we'll be covering the last two of the whole Governor novels. Have you read those? I haven't read the last. The, the last story was broken into two parts kind of unnecessarily. Right, like a Harry Potter Twilight movie. You know, it's still like a 250, it's like two 250-page books with pretty large print. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know. Generally uh, speaking, quick, quick 15-second review. Generally speaking, the Walking Dead novels, worth seeking out? Um, if you get them at the library, if you see yes, them at the... Def- definitely <laughs> at the library or on the cheap. They're a sit-in-your-lawn-chair in the summer and read the book in, in two hours type books. Uh, I get the impression Robert Kirkman writes generally an outline, maybe, or more like a script that he would write for the comic. Uh, Jay Bonensinger ghostwrites it, and it very much still seems like notes. And, and I think it's because he's trying to make them seem immediate. He overuses words like abattoir, like a butcher's room. Yeah, and you hear it eight times in, in a book, and... You start thinking like, I should have been hitting the thesaurus, man. (laughs) But they're entertaining reads. They're just not great literature. But that's sort of how I feel about 99% of tie-in literature. We've mentioned Star Wars and Star Trek. Are you fans of any either the series or in particular versions? or or I love this. Ellen Dean Foster's Splinter of the Mind's Eye, Lando Calrissian trilogy, and really liking that. But for the most part... The Star Trek literature is hit and miss, but when it's hit, I really like it. Right. But when it's sure. miss, it's usually just horrible fan writing, sort of. I'm I'm a snob. I I was my, my the first first book I read was um Lord of the Flies. First book I ever read at, at like six years old, something like that. And then I read the sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and then I read read Animal Farm. <laughs> So that's that gives you an idea where I started. And then once I got into school, I just started reading. It was the reading challenge to me. I was always trying to push my level of, of reading. Not that I don't have a bookshelf full of Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I <was> gonna... <laughs> Although I really like the nonfiction ones a lot better. Those are the ones I really like will pull out and pour over every like once in a while. Ep- episode guides, technical manuals, that sort of thing. Technical manuals, uh, making of. I love making of. Oh, right. I- Star Trek is a is a dream for that because there's you know you can hear Roddenberry's side you can hear Nimoy's side you can hear Shatner's side they'll all tell you know everybody ever associated with Star Trek has told their version of the story of it and it's great to try to piece together what actually really happened. So uh, Chris Honeywell, host of Garage Sale Gloat and many other podcasts on the Two True Freaks Network. Thanks for joining us on the book, guys. Thanks for having me on. I love being on a book. I, I feel smarter already. That is exactly what we're all about. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online, jeremybullock.com, and you can see all about my book, Flying Solo. You've been listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. I'm Professor Allen. 
When yeah. you say hit it, I'll hit it. Hit it. Podcasts. Oh, I love me some new podcasts. Uh, Professor Allen always has some great podcast picks. Now, I don't listen only to comic book podcasts. We know that, yeah. You have some good picks always. But I do listen to a lot of comic book podcasts. I know. And these ones are comic book podcasts. I just wanted to shout out to Superman in the Bronze Age. That podcast recently hit its 100th episode. Oh, nice. That's a number that means a lot to us. So it's only fair, I think, to give a shout out to other shows that reach that Absolutely. milestone. Absolutely. Can we get them on? Let's have a 100 Club uh, kind of get-together. I like it. I like it. And I'm, and I'm a, rather a fan of the, the Super the Man. There you go. Now, we've also mentioned the comic book podcast Just One of the Guys before. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to shout out to them that on their recently released episode 110 Ooh. of that show, there was a special guest star, my daughter Emily. Nice. Podcaster in her own right over at our Relatively Geeky Network comic book podcast site and where can folks find all those uh, comic related podcasts that you do Professor Allen relatively geeky podcast.blogspot.com or search iTunes for relatively geeky thank nice. you Paul very good now you were telling me that in this uh, that you were in the uh, involved in the AMA for LeVar Burton yeah he, he didn't There's ask story me anything and, and for the first time in my life I actually caught and ask me anything on reddit.com that I, I, you know, I got there right when it was happening and asked a couple questions and uh, trying to get LeVar on. And it just so happens that uh, although LeVar hasn't responded yet, a gentleman named Joseph Zim has responded and he has done some great animations. And I'm talking with him and I've talked with Jeff Smith and Scott McKenzie. If you remember, uh, was it last year or the year before, we did that uh, Christmas related uh, audio. Oh, Krampus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Krampus, A Christmas Tale by Scott McKenzie. Um, I think Joseph Zim might be interested in animating our six-minute short. I am looking at just a few of his things on the internets. Yeah. He did a froggy and one. I think that could be a winner. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Fro- something froggy. Very skilled. Very cool. Uh, and he wants to do that and, and then submit it to Reading Rainbow, which apparently you can do. And maybe we'll get uh, Krampus Christmas Tale into Reading Rainbow. <laughs> so, Professor Allen, I think our end of show clip, I know it's too early for Christmas, but we are going to play Krampus a Christmas Tale. So I'm going to do the Irish goodbye on you when we stop talking. So <laughs> I'm not going to be on Skype anymore. I'm just going to play Krampus a Christmas Tale because we don't edit. So I'll just, I'll just play that when we're done. But uh, this has been a great week, my friend. I've enjoyed the show, Paul. A great interview. As always. A great interview, and I'm, I'm full of, you know what, because I haven't read it yet. <laughs> or listen to it. Cause I, 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 you know, when I'm doing all this editing, I like to have new content as well. I wish I could take weeks off the Book Guys show so I can listen to the Book Guys show. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, folks, when you edit audio and you actually put it together, you listen to it a couple hundred times. Uh, that's why we don't edit anymore. Because I like actually listening to the Book Guys show as if it was fresh. I like it. Just one quick update before we go. Sure. They are up almost $40,000 from where we started. Holy crap. $2,272,000. and still going up. So Folks, it will be $40,000 higher. I hope they, the time I, this I, I hope that ends. they, at the end of 33 days, are at $34 million And uh, LeVar Burton, the kind soul that he is, can 
really do what he wants with reading Rainbow. That uh, absolutely, yeah, you know, this is it's it's great. It got me into reading. Uh, you know, although my mother was a big reader, and really got me into reading, and, and bought me you know the simple books and the more advanced. And eventually, I just loved reading. It's just a seed you plant in your child, that, like like you've done with your daughter, absolutely, where she's buying comic books on her own, buying novels. Uh, you it's you don't teach kids how to read. You teach them how to love reading. Yeah. And and then once you give them that love for reading, they'll go out and get their own books and of their own topics. You know, uh, as much as you might not like those, like those topics, they're reading, and that's and the that, most important thing in the world. And that love and that understanding of the importance of reading never goes away. Right. And with today's technology, professor, when we have access with Google, which we didn't have when we were kids, where right. you don't need to have knowledge, you need to have the interest to want to learn. And the ability to find that knowledge. So I, I can devour all kinds of knowledge during a day with Google and, and, and buying my own books and on things that I, I'm interested in, where if you don't teach your child to have that love of learning, they'll never learn. And, and you know, to change the world, you have to educate the child, I think. Absolutely. That's why LeVar had tears in his eyes 11 hours mm-hmm. into this Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I think Amazing. it's wonderful. Wonderful. Great interview, Professor Allen. As always, thank you, and we will we will be back same book time. Yeah, that's same right, buddy. Channel. Same book time, same book channel. We got to get a new uh, audio narrator to change up our ending theme. But until then, it's Jeff Gurner, and take it away, Jeff Gurner. See you, Professor Allen. Take care, Paul. Stay out of trouble, buddy. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. Uncle Paul, can you read me a story about Christmas? I sure can. I've got a lot of books here. Can you read me a story about Santa Claus? There's a lot of stories with Santa. Do you want me to pick one of these and read it to you, sweetie? And the scary monster, too. I like stories with monsters. Well, I do have one here, Maya, but it might be a little bit scary. I love monsters because I'm not scared of them. All right, then. Let's go sit by the Christmas tree, and I'll tell you the story of Krampus, A Christmas Tale, written by Scott McKenzie. Narrated by Paul Alves. With original music by Jeff Smith. I'm going to tell you a Christmas tale with a man who gives books and toys. But this one's a little different. It's been known to scare some girls and boys. We all know Santa Claus is real, but that's only half the story. If you're squeamish, don't go any further. From this point, it gets a bit gory. Santa Claus is the jolly man we know so well. He brings presents and spreads Christmas cheer. But did you know he has a friend called Krampus, who all little children should fear? With long-pointed horns and pitch-black eyes and sharp-broken teeth, please believe... Ventures out with Santa each year at midnight on Christmas Eve. Santa has the easiest task. Good children receive dolls and games. But naughty children get a present from Krampus, a dead mouse, or a bag of sheep's brains. 
Santa and Krampus compare notes all year long. They know who's winning and losing. Good children get a present from Santa's sack, but every present from Krampus is oozing. A few years ago, they couldn't decide whether one girl had been naughty or nice. Should they leave a rocking horse under the tree or a dog's head infested with lice? The little girl's name was Evelyn. Everyone called her Evie for short. She was the best-behaved little girl in the world. At least that's what her parents thought. Let's go back a few hours. We find a little girl putting decorations onto the tree. What's in all these presents? She wonders, and without thinking, she just has to see. She tears open the presents, and her father appears. With a mince pie and a glass of eggnog, he shouts, "Oh my! What's going on here?" So she blames it all on the dog. Now back to that night when Santa and Krampus were standing at the end of her bed. Who would give her a present? Was she naughty or nice? They both shrugged and scratched their head. Santa looked at his list and read aloud, "Since last year, she's been good once a day." Krampus snarled, "Just the same." Then looked at the clock, but it doesn't include what she's been up to today. It was quarter past midnight, and she'd just gone to sleep. She'd been sneaking around out of bed. Ha ha! Krampus growled, "She's done something bad." But Santa knew she'd been a good girl instead. Ha ha ha! Krampus stopped laughing and realized he'd lost. He couldn't win after all. He's the baddie. Evie had put lots of presents under the tree with a card that read, "I love you, mommy and daddy." Santa is real, but so is Krampus. You must believe me; it's true. So if you don't want a present from Krampus this year, I'll tell you what you must do. Before Christmas comes round once again, if you want Santa to think you're nice, make sure for everything you do that's bad, you do us something good. Not once. That was a nice story. Can you read it again? Again, Maya? Again, again, again. Okay, okay. I'll read it to you again. But、uh, first, we have to say goodbye to all the nice people listening at home. I don't see any people. Well, you can't see them, but they're listening to us right now. Bye, invisible people. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. You've been listening to Krampus, a Christmas tale, written by Scott McKenzie, narrated by Paul Elvis and Maya Santos. M A J A Santos. With original music by Jeff Smith. Performance copyright 2011.